morning. Welcome to Bra Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark, and I am not wearing a mask. There is no way. I hate wearing masks, and I hate breathing my own carbon dioxide. Think about that. You're breathing your own, your body's own waste products. It's horrible. And that's supposed to make you healthy. <laughs> it's just funny. Anyway, I echo the Apostle Paul's greetings from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, which says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the things that I do in the beginning of every lesson is communicate to you who Jesus Christ is from our perspective. And there are verses associated with that. Although very rarely do I share the verses with you, but I want to share the verses with you today so that you know that I'm not just not talking, but I'm talking from Scripture. Because that's what a pastor's job is. A pastor's job is to take you into Scripture. So at Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. John chapter 1, verse 1 confirms it. It says, in the beginning was the word. Hologos is the Greek term, and it means the Lord, God the Son. And the Word was with God the Father. So the Word and God the Father were existed together in eternity past, and the Word, the Lord, God the Son, was himself God. The Trinity idea is a, an idea that's really hard for people to grasp or accept, but it's this simple. There is one God, And God has chosen to express himself in three separate and distinct persons. But he is not three gods. He is one God expressed as three separate and distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why did he do that? My theory on why he did that is because he is in a creature-creator conflict. And in any kind of a dispute, in any kind of a court case, which the creator-creature conflict is... You cannot bring a case against somebody when it's your word against theirs. So the three separate and distinct persons of the Godhead provide three different witnesses to what Satan did that he's being sent to the lake of fire for. And each one of those separate and distinct witnesses, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are omniscient. They know everything. They're omnipresent. They're everywhere at the same time, so they were actually eyewitnesses to what Satan perpetrated. And they're omnipotent. They have all the power. So this John 1-1 verse is talking about the Lord, God the Son, who is the second member of the Trinity. As Lord, he is 100% deity, a member of the triune Godhead. He is God the Son. He is also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. So Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says this, In Jesus Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in human bodily form. That's what we mean by 100% deity and 100% true humanity. He is every bit as human as you and I. But what makes him different than you and I is that he is completely deity as well. And one of the things that's amazing about you as church age believers in Christ is you have the entire Trinity indwelling you, including God the Son. So you have a, you are a reflection of Jesus Christ in that you have God inside of you, but you also are a true humanity. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, And the Word, Holagos, God the Son, the Lord, 
became flesh, truly human as Jesus Christ, and he lived among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as from the uniquely born one. Uniquely born because he is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, and nobody ever was or is that. Glory as from the uniquely born one from the source of God the Father. He came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world, and he is the Jewish Messiah. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know whether somebody is saved or not, just ask them a very simple question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? And there are a lot of people who believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't believe that he's God. We have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with Jesus Christ because Christianity is a relationship. It is not a religion. Religion wants to drag Christianity into it, but they are separate and distinct, completely different. The Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not an entity. You cannot refer to him as a higher power. You cannot refer to him as the universe. You have to refer to him as who he is, which is fully God and fully man in one person forever. So just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. Since the Bible is his exact thinking, we come together to learn his mind through the study of his word. That's how we get to know people. We get to know their mind. We get to know how they think, what they like, what they don't like, what they want, and we get to know them that way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verses 20 and 21 say this. Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation. Prophet, scripture does not come from human beings. 1 Peter one twenty one. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men carried along by God the Holy Spirit, inspired concerning what to write by God the Holy Spirit, spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of the authors of Scripture wrote down exactly what the Holy Spirit told them to do. And there is a doctrine called verbal plenary inspiration that he told them what to do, and it did not modify their personality. It did not modify their literary style. It didn't modify anything about them except that they were used as instruments to write this down. I, as a pastor, am simply an instrument of God designed to talk to you about what God wants to say to you today. What I'm talking about today is what God the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to the churches. And if you go around to churches all around the world, you will hear very similar messages today uh, for those who are inspired by the Spirit, because he will be talking the same messages to all the churches around the world. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, who is the ruler of this world. John chapter 12, verse 31 says this, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be dethroned. Now, if he's going to be dethroned, as a future event. That means he's on the throne of the world right now. And that does not surprise you at all because all of the stuff that's going on here right now is ab absolutely evidence that the person who rules this world is a tyrant, that the person who is behind all of the things that are going on with us, all this stealing of freedom and all of this robbing us of our lives is all coming from someone and Satan is the one who's inspiring it. And so Satan is a liar.
who deceives the whole world, including you. People keep asking me, how can so many smart people be doing this? Because Satan is that good. Because he is an amazing liar. He is an amazing deceiver. And he deceives the whole world. And the thing that we can't get our, our heads around is that there are so many people walking around in the world today who are completely deceived, who are so naive about what's going on in the background of all of this stuff. And it's all here in the Bible. But if you don't have the truth, then you're easily deceived by lies. If you don't have the truth, you are easily deceived by lies. And that's the problem, that there are so many people in this world who don't have the truth. And you'll know them because they're walking around thinking that all of a sudden a flu is going to kill the whole population. All of a sudden... We're supposed to not trust people. We're supposed to socially distance. How can you be social and distance yourself from someone? How can you have, how how can you call social media social when you don't interact with anybody? It's not social. It's a deception. And we so easily take it. Social distancing. You know, stay safe. Stay safe. All of a sudden, I'm in danger, and I didn't even know it. Stay safe. I've always been safe. I always will be safe because my safety is in the Lord. My safety is not in the stupidity of men. And what Christians can do right now, more than anything else, to change the situation that's going on in the world right now is prayer. Prayer is a weapon that we can use. And the one thing that we don't know about prayer is that we need to be praying all the time for everything. We need to be praying about our meals that all of the impurities are removed from it. We need to be praying for our children to make sure that they are protected from the the world, which is walking into their bedroom right now through a computer and letting them see things that kids never could see before. See? Yeah, that's what's going on in our lives. Good news is we have an eternity, but God wanted us to live the resurrection life here and in eternity, but we have an eternity coming up as believers in Christ, where we will not be subject to any of this crap from the ruler of this world who is a liar and the one who keeps on fathering lies. He doesn't want you to get to know God. He interferes with your chance to know God. And the word of God is the truth that keeps us aware of his insidious deceptions. And insidious means sneaky, underhanded, almost imperceptible deceptions. And as believers in Christ, who are in union with Christ from the moment of baptism, we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. John chapter 16, verse 33 says this, These things I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have spoken to you believers in Christ, so that in union with me you have peace. That is what we are to experience here in this world right now. All the chaos that's going on, we are to experience peace. In the world, you have tribulation. Why? Because there's a tyrant at the head of this world. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is running the universe. The world is simply a subset of it, and he will have victory and then eventually take over this world as well. He is going to reign on this earth for a thousand years as a future event. The church age will end. There will be seven years, the worst seven years in the history of mankind called the tribulation, and then there will be a thousand years where he will reign on the earth, and we as church age believers will reign with him. Now, because of union with Christ, we share his victory. I'd like to welcome you to the study today.
and look forward to teaching you something that you already know, some things that you might not know, but we're going to have a lot of fun today as we study about the Lord. The Lord's Supper celebration is the entire lesson for today, and it is at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us that done is a lot better than do. The Lord Jesus Christ at the cross taught us that done is a lot better than do. Now, those of you who know me uh, know for sure that parenting my sons is one of the proudest accomplishments of my life. It was totally enjoyable from start to finish. Yet there's one thing I hated about parenting, and I don't mind admitting it to you today. Most kids are always trying to prove themselves to their parents. They crave parental approval. No way. They are desperate for parental approval. My sons are no exception to the rule. They are desperate for my approval. And I've always found that to be a bit mind-boggling. Why? Because there has never been a time in my son's life when they didn't have my approval. I don't believe you heard me, so I'll repeat it. There has never been a time in my life where my sons didn't have my approval. So why are they striving for something that they already have? Why are they asking for an ice cream cone while holding an ice cream cone in their hand? Because nobody in their right mind would do that, right? I want an ice cream cone. You have one in your hand. The ice cream cone is my approval. They already have it, yet they're striving for it. Now, I am convinced that there's a reason for that. Now, have I been mad at them at times? Yes, that's normal. Have I said mean things to them? All the time. (laughs) That's just what I do. But I've always been on their side. And there is nothing that they have ever done that has disappointed me. And for those of you who know them, there are quite a few things that would be easy to describe as disappointing if you had a mind to do it, but nothing they've ever done has disappointed me because I just don't relate to them that way. And you know why I don't relate to them that way? Because my God doesn't relate to me that way. My God has not been disappointed in one thing I've ever done in my life, and I've made a lot of mistakes. Well, they've made a lot of mistakes too, and they, their mistakes don't disappoint me at all because their mistakes are a learning experience. I am convinced after studying for today's lesson that this striving for parental approval is Satan-inspired. He encourages us all to strive for the Lord's approval, and for believers in Christ, we already have it. The Lord's approval of us was demonstrated at the cross. Generally speaking, if somebody dies for you, they like you a little bit. Amen? All right, so in today's lesson, we'll remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by celebrating the Lord's Supper, and we'll learn that his work at the cross taught us the valuable lesson that done is a lot better than do. If he already approves of us, we don't have to strive for his approval, and religion is always teaching us to strive for his approval, to work for his approval, and you can work and work and work and work, but you'll never get it. But why? You already have it. (laughs) All right, so let's hear some music. In biblical numerology, 10 is the number of perfection. Seven's the number of completion. 10 is the number of perfection. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 is a perfect 10-word verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
we underestimate the power of these words as believers in Christ. Do you hear what it's saying? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't say I can do all things through myself. It says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, in his song, Same Power, Jeremy Camp explains. I can see the waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face Every fear of the unknown I can hear All God's children singing out We will not be overtaken We will not be overcome The same power that rose Jesus from the grave The same power
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for making your salvation and your sanctification so easy. We don't have to work to please you. Thank you for making heaven so easy. There's no work we can do to get ourselves to heaven. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your Son, did all the work for us at the cross so that we can be saved. And God the Holy Spirit does all the work of sanctification so we can walk in a lifestyle worthy of the calling to which you called us as he conforms us to the image of your Son. Father, help us to love others as you love us. Give us the courage to invite people to your so great salvation. Help us to communicate to others that your unconditional love and your grace and your forgiveness are free gifts for whosoever believes in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson is the Lord's Supper celebration. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us that done is a lot better than do. Done is a lot better than do. Well, welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, the most intimate expression of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christian way of living. The Lord demonstrates his desire for a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with his believers by creating a way to keep on sharing his body and his blood with us, just as he did with his apostles on the night before his death. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 says this, When the hour had come and his crucifixion was near, the Lord Jesus Christ reclined at the Passover table, and the apostles reclined with him. Luke twenty-two fifteen, And the Lord said to the apostles, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Luke twenty-two sixteen, For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you that I shall never again eat this Passover meal until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, The Apostle Paul says on behalf of the Lord, As often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and as often as you drink the cup, representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. The Lord's Supper celebration is a time when the resident members of this congregation join hands through the miles with our non-resident members, and we demonstrate our unity by remembering our Lord together. This is a celebration for which we set aside time. We don't do it on the move. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back to the cross for a moment. In your mind, I'd like you to do that. Look back to the cross for a moment. He wants us to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He wants us to remember the sacrifice of shedding his blood to cover our sins. He wants us to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life that he orchestrated, bringing us into the kingdom of light, out of darkness, into the kingdom of light. And most of all, the Lord wants his believers to look forward to, with anticipation, that he is coming again. The suffering will end. The tribulation will end. The masks will end. The confinement to your homes will end. 
As believers in Christ, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? And this month, we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us that done is better than do. Done is better than do. Well, you've heard the expression, I'm sure. What would Jesus do? You remember that? All right, and you may have seen a bracelet or a T-shirt with the letters WWWJW. Or, no, it's not three W's, is it? <laughs> I just went to the Internet. It's WWJD. Well, believe it or not, the whole WWJD movement began in the 1800s, spurred by a Charles Sheldon book entitled In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? Undoubtedly, it is the Satan-inspired insinuation that all Christians should be Christ-like. It's funny how Satan gives us a standard to which we could never live up. Be Christ-like. We aren't, there is nothing about us that is Christ-like. It's something we can't be. It's something we will never be. But it's the belief that Christians must always demonstrate the unconditional love of Jesus through their actions. And what we typically find out is that we can't do one thing Jesus said through our actions. We never do it. We want to do it, but we don't do it. Okay, maybe we do it one out of a thousand times. And then as we get more mature, maybe we do it one out of a hundred times or one out of, uh, of ten times. But we find ourselves as believers in Christ failing a lot more than we succeed, and then we stop and ask ourselves, you know, am I really saved? And that's, the, that's how you know that you don't have enough truth in your soul yet. How you know is when those doubts that Satan gives you, you start entertaining them. He says, well, are you really saved? And I've got pastors that I've talked to who have this as a dilemma. You know, pastors, we talk, and they'll say, man, sometimes I don't even know if I'm saved. And... Of course, you know, what well, I'll tell you, you're kidding, right? How, how did you figure that out? Well, where did it come from? It came from the flesh. This body that we have, it comes from the flesh, and the flesh is always talking to you, and it's always telling you negative stuff. Do you ever notice that that little voice inside of you is always telling you negative stuff? It's never encouraging. But the cool thing about it is, if you know that the flesh is Satan's inside agent, and you know that Satan is a liar, John eight forty four, and there's no truth in him, you know that every time he says any of that negative stuff to you, the opposite is true. So when he's telling me what a lousy pastor I am, I think, wow, I must be pretty good. <laughs> because I know he's lying, and I know the opposite is true. And the fact that he's even talking to me indicates that I'm good because he doesn't have time to talk to everybody. So, anyway, Satan, the enemy of God, promotes the do lifestyle. Why? Because with anything God has done, Satan wants us to think that he has a better idea. And his better idea is do. He wants to put us down as Christians when we embrace the done lifestyle, when we know that our salvation is done and it can't be undone. He wants us to say, no, no, no. 
It's not that easy. You got to work. Well, that fits perfectly into what you have to do in the world because we have to work in the world. Why do we have to work? That was God's punishment for Adam. Adam had this perfection. He had this perfect situation. Anything in this garden, this gorgeous garden, you can have anything in here. Just don't eat from that tree in the middle of the garden. And what did he do? What did, what did Adam do? What did Eve do? No, 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 no. They couldn't see anything that was cool and went right to that tree. No, 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 no. And then, boom, they eat from the tree. And then what happens? All right, Adam, here's your punishment. You're going to work your butt off. You're going to work from now on. Eve, what's your punishment? You're going to be oriented to your husband. You're going to be, all, all you're going to be thinking, you're going to be obsessed with your husband. And then when you have babies, it's going to hurt. There it is. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. You, you don't think I had a, I had a gallstone pass through the bile duct. Yeah, I had a baby, believe me. I hate. Now, all respect to women, I, I know what it's like. I've watched two births. I know what that's like, and I know how hard it is. But when a stone passes through a bile duct, it hurts. So I can relate. <laughs> now, you can't relate. You didn't carry it for nine months. No, I carried it for three years. <laughs> I had these episodes for three years. So, Satan promotes the do lifestyle. Because anything that God has done, he wants to undo with do-do, the do-do life. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the first part. And the great dragon was thrown down. This is a future event. Satan is going to be expelled from heaven. He and his demon army is in heaven right now, part of his demons, uh, making a case against Jesus Christ as, as being unloving and unfair. But in the future, in the tribulation, three and a half years into the tribulation period, which is the next age in divine history, he is going to be expelled from heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. How can smart people be so stupid? Because he deceives the whole world, including you. You are walking around today with satanic deceptions as part of your information set. He has fooled you. He has fooled me. We always have to be on the alert for what are the deceptions that are going on inside of us. Now, all of us are exposed regularly to his deceptions. Since Satan's strategy to gain an advantage over mankind is called religion. Now, Satan is a phony. See, what he tells you, he says, hey, man, what do you want? You want a watch? You want a camera? You want a radio? What do you want? Whatever you want, I got it. How you want to worship God? You want to worship God, but you want to worship some statues too? I got that. You, you don't want to go to church? I got that. You know, you don't want to believe there is a God? I got that. Whatever you need, I got it. But it's a deception because what he's going to do after he lures everybody into those deceptions of religion is he's going to funnel them all to one thing. 
And so as time goes on, his plan gets more and more obvious and more and more intense, and he funnels, funnel, funnels everybody who's religious to one thing, and that is worship me or I will kill you. Worship me or I will cut your head off because that's what tyrants do. There's a great uh, uh, Broadway play. You remember when we used to watch plays on Broadway? You remember that? That was awesome. But there's, a <laughs> there's this great play, uh, Hamilton. And there's a song in Hamilton by King George, who was the tyrant that we separated from to become the United States of America. And uh, the, the song is, You'll Be Back, right? Which is, he's talking to, the, he says, yeah, you're going to go on your own, but you'll be back. And one of the verses, and it, it's a really funny song, and you should just tune into it and listen to it. But one of the song is one of the verses in the song says, "And I will send an armored tank division to remind you of my love." Right? That's how tyrants work. You will love me, or I will kill you. That's Satan inspired, because that's what tyrants do. So. That's what religion is. At its core, religion is the do lifestyle, and it is telling you that you have to do things to impress God. It is the attempt to impress God so that you can earn your way into heaven through your good works. And so what do we hear? We got to give back. We got to give back. When I'm blessed, when I'm blessed, I got to give back. And what's all behind that give back philosophy? If I give back to those less fortunate than me, I'll earn special points with God. You don't earn jack with God because everything you have, God gave it to you. You're just redistributing it, and you didn't do anything special because you didn't do anything to get it in the first place. But you may think you did. So anyone who has tried this do lifestyle knows that it does not work. The Apostle Paul, who was a former Pharisee, and I got to tell you something, Paul was the baddest mother on two feet. He was a Jew. He was a Roman. He was a Pharisee. He was blameless as it relates to the law. He was zealous. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is the baddest of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was everything from a human perspective. And so then he gets knocked off his high horse. He becomes a believer in Christ. The Lord takes him out into the desert for three years and trains him. And then he starts starts spreading the gospel message to the Gentiles who he thought were vermin. See, so he he had tried to wipe out the Christian church single-handedly. He would kill men, women, and children who were Christians. He would go to churches and kill. When he was on his way to the Damascus Road, it was like he had killed everybody in the United States and now he was going to Europe. That was the analogy. And he got permission to go to Europe, but it wasn't really Europe. It was where he was. But Damascus was outside of his district. He got permission to go there to kill people. He got knocked off his high horse. The Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He knew who it was. How you say, well, who are you, Lord? And you knew who it was. So he becomes a believer in Christ. And now has to go minister to the Gentiles, who as a Jew he thought were vermin. The lowest of the low. 
That's how God is. See, God's got a great sense of humor. And what did the Gentiles think? I'm not. I'm not coming anywhere near you, man. You, you've been kill, you killed some family members of mine. I'm not going to listen to you. What did the apostles think? Ooh, he's, he's a trickster. He's trying to come in here like a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's pretending to be a sheep, but he's really a wolf. He's going to eat us. They didn't even want to be around him. Nobody wanted to be around him. That was his ministry. And 30 years into his ministry, 30 years into writing two-thirds of the New Testament, here's what he says. Because he was still, he was trying to make Christianity into the do life. And here's what he says. This is Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and 19. He says, what I, Paul, am doing, I don't understand. I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Romans 7, 19. For the good that I want to do, I don't do. In fact, I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. See, so as no, no matter how mature you get as a Christian, and this is 30 years into his ministry, no matter how mature you get as a Christian, there's always that part of you that's doing what you don't want to do. Well, why is that? Well, Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, God gives us an angel of Satan to buffet us so that we don't exalt ourselves. Because as Christians, we, I mean, we got got a lot. All right, wait, let me just explain something to you about me, y'all. When I close my eyes in this life, I'm going to heaven. When I go to heaven, I'm going to be absent from this body and face to face with the Lord. I'm going to live with the Lord forever. Right this minute, I am a saint. I am a priest. I am an ambassador. I'm justified. I'm in union with Christ, and I can't get out. You, you getting my drift? I'm a bad mother. <laughs> when you're a believer in Christ, you're a bad mother. You start thinking, hey, I must have done that. But no, you got that flesh in there, and you always do stupid stuff, and then you realize, yeah, I'm not all that. And if you get up front, you really realize you're not all that, because not only do you realize that you're not all that, but everybody who's watching you realizes you're not all that, right? First thing somebody asked me, how come you've been divorced twice? Implication, it's got to be your fault. How are you a Christian and you're divorced twice? Oh, yeah, Christians don't make mistakes. I, gosh, I don't know. I must be a hypocrite. <laughs> Of course I'm a hypocrite. You Christians are all hypocrites. Correct. Now what? Yeah. I'm proud of being a hypocrite. And I'm proud that at one time I was a sinner. You know why? Because as a sinner, I needed a Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he saved me even when I was miserable. Yeah. With his done life. But I have 50 years of trying to do life. And I learned the same thing Paul learned, that it doesn't work out. The religious life is a pretend life. And there are a lot of people who like pretending that they're spiritual. They like getting together in big stadiums with 18,000 other phonies and giving out a lot of money to a phony pastor who has a Bible on his lectern. He has a New Testament on his lectern, and he'll talk for 
eight out of the, the, the 27 minutes, and he'll raise this and wave it and touch it, never open it, never cite a verse. And then when he cites a verse, he never cites the verse itself. He describes the story. He's a storyteller, and it's Old Testament, which is not the testament for the church-age believer. And don't get me wrong, there's some good stories back there, man. I like Proverbs, I like Psalms, I like hearing about David and all the stupid stuff he did. I love it. But that's not our book. Our book is the New Testament, which he's smart enough to know because he's waving around the New Testament because you can tell because it's, it's skinny. It's just 27 books. It's phony. But we love it. As believers in Christ, we love it because he's on TV. He must be good. He's got a nap. He must be good. That guy that we listen to every week, he can't be any good. He only got like 40 people that listen to him. He can't be good. Yeah, because it couldn't be that us 40 people are serious students of the word of God. And in this world of 300 million people, there aren't that many people who are serious students of the word of God. That couldn't be, could it? Oh, wait, but the Lord says that the way is narrow that leads to the resurrection life. And there are few who will find it. But the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are a lot of people who will find it. Oh, maybe we're on the narrow way. Maybe we're not interested in the destruction. Maybe we're cool enough to realize that we still sin, and when we sin and get up, all the dirt that got on us from sin goes right to the cross. And maybe that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week, because we know that our sins are paid for. It is done. That's why we don't ask God to forgive us. We don't ask God to forgive us because it's done. You don't ask for things you already have. We don't ask for God to love us because it's done. He loves us unconditionally. There's no question about it. See, so we're not going to let the seed of doubt be sown. And I have Christians telling me all the time, yeah, I believe in Christ, but I have doubts. Then you're stupid. Doubt what? Doubt what? Doubt that he got the job done on the cross? Okay, you're Roman Catholic then. He got the job done on the cross. What do you doubt? Any doubt you have, it's coming from you. It's not coming from a study of the word. Because when you study the word, there is no doubt. What God says is absolutely clear. I give eternal, John 20, 10, 28, I give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. What is there to doubt? The supreme God of the universe said, nobody's going to snatch them out of my hands. What is it that you doubt exactly? The supreme God of the universe says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, no one will separate you. Nothing will separate you from the unconditional love of God. What is there to doubt? There's nothing to doubt. And that's why you can't handle it. You can't handle the truth. You know why you can't handle the truth? Because it's too true. Amen? We don't want to be loved like that. We're always talking about how much we want to be. I just, I just want somebody to love me. You already got it. God loves you unconditionally. You can't even take it. How could you take human love? 
It's the same thing that happens. All these people who are talking about how much they want somebody to love them, and then they get in a relationship with somebody who loves them that way, and what's the first thing they do? They do what a dog won't do. They foul their own cage. They profane their own sanctuary. They ruin their own relationship. They find some way to ruin it. Because they can't handle love. To them, it's lighter fluid love. That's stuff that lasts for about a year. I love him. I fell in love. Crazy. The religious life is a. Pret- <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, you know, this happens. Every, no, you know what? There's something that happens whenever you see me like this. Just know this, because something has happened in my life two two weeks in a row. I had honey nut Cheerios before I came up in here, <laughs> and every time I eat those honey nut Cheerios, this is what happens. <laughs> All right. So the religious life is a pretend life, and religious people pretend to please God. But deep inside, they know that they just don't. We know we don't cut it. The Lord Jesus Christ has a better suggestion. His suggestion is the done life. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us that done is better than do. And one of the seven things the Lord Jesus Christ said as he hung from the cross is the Greek word tetelestai. Tetelestai. It is well translated. It is finished. But the Bible has to be interpreted in the time it was written. And at the time the Bible was written, if there was tetelestai stamped on a business document, it meant the debt is paid in full. When you make your last mortgage payment, they would stamp on there, tetelestai, paid in full. Done. Jesus Christ paid our sin debt in full at the cross. If you, as a believer in Christ, commit sins, and you're sitting there beating yourself up about it, you don't understand Tetelestai. Finished. Done. Paid for in full. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, And the Lord Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, so that we might die to the sovereignty of sin, And so that we might live to the righteousness of the resurrection life, the Zoe life, for by Jesus' wounds you were healed. Satan, salvation is finished. It is done. It is paid in full. The Lord Jesus Christ incurred the wrath of God the Father for three dark hours on the cross to pay for every sin we would ever commit, past, present, and future. It is done. And as a result... We can have the free gift of eternal life by placing our faith in the work Christ has done on our behalf. It's this equivalent. You're going to the Coeur d'Alene Conference, and you're going to stay in a hotel. And when you get to the hotel, you say, Rory Clark checking in. And they say, oh, Mr. Clark, thanks for checking in. We don't need your credit card. Someone has already put their credit card down. Your bill is paid in full. What will you do after you faint, after 911 comes and revives you? What you'll do is you'll get up, you'll go up to your room, and that's it. You don't stand there and argue with them. Oh, no, wait, I want to pay. I want to pay myself. And that's what unbelievers do. They don't want to accept the work that's already been done on their half. They want to pay. Okay, well, you have to pay 
By taking the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? The lake of fire for all eternity when it's already been done for you. And that's why there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in the lake of fire because they'll all be down there going, oh, I could have had it free. Sort of like me. Last week, I sold my Amazon stock at 3017, and then it kept going up till the rest of the week to 3200. I was so mad. Just hold. Just hold on to it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For by God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So that being saved is not a result of your works, deeds you have done in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. As believers in Christ, we don't ask, what would Jesus do? No, instead we reflect on what Jesus has done. And what he has done is give us salvation through his grace as a free gift. And here's something cute I saw as I was researching this week. What is grace? We gain righteousness at Christ's expense. Grace, we gain righteousness at Christ's expense. What does that mean? That at the moment you believe in Christ, you are given the free gift of absolute righteousness at Christ's expense on the cross. He paid for it so that you wouldn't have to. So now you have an admission ticket to heaven. And what is the admission ticket to heaven? Righteousness. You have to be have the same righteousness as God. And at the moment, You believe in Christ. You're placed into union with Christ. You're given that righteousness, and you have it forever, and you can't get out. You can't lose it. You are not going to see Peter at the pearly gates. When you close your eyes in this life, who you're going to see is the Lord Jesus Christ personally escorting you to heaven. Even though I walk through my own death-shadowed valley, you've seen this in Psalm 23, Even though, what is David saying? Even though I walk through my own death-shadowed valley, I cannot fear you with me. Amen? He's walking you personally. The sovereign God of the universe thinks enough of you to walk you personally into heaven. You don't even think enough of yourself to do to to let him do it and to be be grateful and and anticipating that he's going to do that for you. Well... When we return <laughs> when we return from our five minute break, we'll take the offering and then we'll continue our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright 
Baby brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm, I'm just a nobody I'm Trying to tell Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us that done is a lot better than do. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us that done is a lot better than do. Well, I just want to give a quick hello to the seven people up in the Pacific Northwest who are watching the lesson today, John and Monica, Harold and Cindy. I know Harold and Cindy didn't get their old lazy son up and have him come over there, but he's still asleep. So I might have to fly up there and punch him out one of these days. And then we've got Lisa and John Munoz and Mary Isaac up there, too. So hello to all you guys. Love you and uh, look forward to seeing you in the prayer circle in a short time. So welcome back. The grace life done. Oh, no, I, I went too far. I, I forgot. I needed. So we're going to <laughs> we're going to take the offering now. Deacon Denny Goodall is on assignment. <laughs> no, no, woof, woof. Yeah, Deacon Denny Goodall is with his family on vacation this week in San Diego. They're probably driving up I eight right this minute. So I'm going to be taking the offering. And I'm not like Denny. I mean, he's really, you know, kind of diplomatic. I'm going to be guilt tripping you as I come around. I'm be standing in front of you, staring at what you put in and, and telling you to put in more. So just so you know. But thanks in advance for your generosity. We need and appreciate your contributions, and uh, you have been more than generous during a very tough time, and we appreciate it. All right, so let's take the offering. 
pop that song on there, Zachary. Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us that done is a lot better than do. Done is a lot better than do. So the grace life, done, is the lifestyle that the Lord Jesus Christ offers to mankind. God does all the work and mankind gets the benefit. The works life, do, is the lifestyle that Satan, the enemy of God, offers to mankind. A man works to please God but his effort is absolutely futile. It's so funny about religions. They're always telling you, okay, well, if you want to please God, you got to do and do and do and do and do and do. Okay, well, I'm, I'm one of these clarity freaks, right? So I stop and say, okay, if I do and do and do and do and do all that, do I get to heaven? Well, not exactly. Well, now, what's the point? Because if you, it's sort of like going to a gym and getting a personal trainer. You know, you go to the gym and get a personal trainer, and you think, okay, I'm fat. I want to be skinny. So if I spend $5,000 with you this year and do workouts, am I going to be skinny? Well, we'll see, right? And then you're fatter at the end of the year than you were before because when you start working out, your body is demanding more calories, right? So you're putting the calories in. You're putting the wrong kind in. And they don't tell you that working out is only 10% of it. That 75% of it is the nutrition aspect of things. And then if you, ask, if you figure that out and you ask them, well, what about the nutrition aspect of that? Oh, I don't do that. I just help people push weights around. And what you're really trying to do is build muscle, not just push weights around. So all you do is end up you getting injured. You get injured, and then you don't want to do it anymore. But building muscle takes a lot lower weight than you think and a lot less repetitions than you think. Being aerobically fit takes 20 minutes three times a week. That's it. Everything else is overtraining. But 
You know, nobody tells you that. So that's the do life. To really know what Christians believe, as opposed to what religions believe, you have to check the doctrines of each and do a comparison. Every religion has a set of doctrines. Their teachings. And one of the things that will be really funny is, you know, you ask me about something here in the Bible, what will I tell you? I will tell you, yes, it's in there. I believe it. I believe everything that's in here. Is there any contradiction in here? No. Is there any lie in here? No. I haven't found one. Now, I've been looking, too. I want to find it so I can have my weekends off. There's one lie in here. I'm taking the weekend off. No, there aren't any. But with religions, when you find the lie, you talk to somebody who's religious and say, hey, did you know that that particular thing that your religion says is a lie? Yeah, I don't believe that part. Right? So they're cafeteria people. They pick and choose what they like to believe. That's not how it is. When you're a Christian, you believe everything that's in that book. And that's that. So every religion has doctrines in writing. And all you have to do is a comparison. Compare those doctrines to what the Bible has to say. And what you'll find is a complete difference. And what you'll find is that just because Christianity and religions use the same terms a lot of times does not mean that the terms have the same meaning. So discern, to discern error, you have to get behind the term to the real meaning of the term. Because there are a lot of religions who talk about grace. But when you get to the definition, they're not talking about grace like we're talking about grace. I guarantee you this. Religions are sophisticated enough to hide the lie deep within the truth. The best lie that I'm going to tell you is 90% true. The lie is so well disguised that you can't recognize it. Finding the error, finding the smoking gun of a religion is a frustrating pursuit, even for those well-trained to do so. I'm well-trained to do so, and as I was getting together some things for you for this lesson, I spent two hours trying to find the smoking gun behind the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. Just, I just wanted to show you two or three things of the smoking guns. Boy! They have created a master deception to get you to think that they're Christian when they are. All right, so here's a look at a few of the doctrines of three religions, Roman Catholicism, Islam, and Mormonism, the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. And as you look at these verses, notice the work that's involved in an attempt to impress God. Notice the viewpoints about God. All right, first, excerpts from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. There's a little green book. Catholics all take CCC classes, Catechism of the Catholic Church classes. They'll have the Bible there. They'll have the, and the, the Catholic Bible is different from the Christian Bible. It has added books. And then the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and you virtually never open up the Bible, and you always are in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Here is Catechism of the Catholic Church, verse 2027. 20, Moved by the Holy Spirit. We can merit for ourselves and for others by praying for the dead all of the graces needed to attain eternal life. See, so we can do to attain eternal life. No, you can't. No, you can't. But there it is, smoking gun. Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1129. The Roman Catholic Church affirms that for its believers, the sacraments of the new covenant are necessary for salvation. 
Okay, sacraments are necessary for salvation. What Christianity says is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, the sacraments have to be done. And what are the sacraments? Baptism, confirmation, uh, last rites. um, There are seven of them, I I forget, even though I was baptized Catholic. Catechism of the Catholic, so yeah, so those are two. And you'll notice that I mean, I could go on forever with the catechism of the Catholic Church. They are blatant about the things that they're saying about and how different it is from Christianity. Islam, excerpts from the Koran, the sacred book of Islam, in Surah. Yeah, I already got that. In Surah 5.9, Allah has promised those who believe and do righteous deeds that for them there is forgiveness and great reward. What do you have to do to get forgiveness and great reward? You have to believe in Allah, and you have to do righteous deeds. Christianity, believe only. No righteous deeds necessary. Quran 23.102, And those whose scales are heavy with good deeds, it is they who are successful. Quran 23.103, But those whose scales are light without good deeds, Those are the ones who have lost their souls, being in hell, abiding eternally. Is that pretty clear? If you don't do good deeds, you're going to hell. Then the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. Alma 527. Have you walked, keeping yourself blameless before God? Could you say, if you were called to die at this time within yourselves, that you have been sufficiently humble? Action. What do you have to do to get to heaven? Keep yourselves blameless. Anybody in here been successful at that? Keeping yourself blameless? Not me. They have a, they, the, the Mormons actually have four books. They have the Bible, which they probably never open, the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, and the Pearls of Great Price. Four different books. Now, just from a, just from a mathematics standpoint, that should tell you if you've got to study four books in, instead of one, your effort's going to be diluted. Doctrines and Covenants 130, 22. The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's body. The Son also has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's body. When you hear the story of Mormonism, you hear that, that God the Father and Jesus Christ went to Joseph Smith and said, our church is really messed up and we need you to help. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what the sovereign God of the universe would do. They'd go to some goofy guy in upstate New York and ask for help. No, I don't think so. All right, but the body, the Father has flesh and bones. We, we know that that is not accurate. In, in Christianity, the Father is spirit. He is not flesh and bones. And the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit, pneuma, could never be translated ghost. The Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but it is a personage of spirit. So look at how they describe God. They describe God as three separate people. They do not have the idea that there's one God, but in all of their literature, they try to disguise it that they believe that there are three separate people, but, they, but when you question them deeper, you'll find out that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are very different. 
And that is not Christianity. In Christianity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal. They are exactly the same in essence. The Mormon's article of faith 1.2, we believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. That's exactly the opposite of what we believe. We believe that a Christian, that every person was born physically alive and spiritually dead, spiritually a dead because they got Adam's sin imputed to them at the moment of physical birth. The Mormons don't believe that, right? So they don't believe the same thing we believe. If you don't believe the same thing Christians believe, you're not a Christian. It's as simple as that. Most of all, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. And I have had a lot of Mormon kids come to evangelize me at my house. Welcome, kids. You look great. I love the fact that you dress up in those white shirts and the ties. You look really sharp. Just tell me one thing before we even start talking. Do you believe Jesus Christ is God? No, we don't. Why? They take you right into the Book of Mormon. Okay, but the Bible says this. I can show you a hundred places where the Bible says he's God. Book of Mormon says not. They're in contradiction. No. Thanks for coming. Y'all ain't selling no cookies or nothing, are you? Mormons believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the creator of the world. However, Mormons hold the unique belief that God the Father and Jesus Christ are two distinct beings. All right, now. What does the Bible have to say about religious people? In Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 to 9, the Lord has this to say about the religious Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites. And what's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is somebody who talks from behind a mask. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. They're all talk and no action. Matthew 15, 9, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Satan, the enemy of God, wants to deceive us into believing that our human accomplishments, our works, are equal to God's standard for absolute righteousness as the admission ticket into heaven. And Satan is absolutely wrong about that, and he knows it. He is a liar, and he is the one who keeps on fathering lies. Well, what about the done life? What does God say through the Bible about how to be saved? Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 say this. What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found in the matter of salvation? Abraham, the father of the Jews. Romans 4, 2. For if, for the sake of argument, Abraham was justified by his works, he has something to boast about before men, but not before God. Romans 4, 3, for what does the Old Testament scripture say in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, in the Torah? Abraham believed in God the Son, Jehovah Elohim, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. You see, it was Abraham's faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation as the Lord was revealed to Abraham at the time as Jehovah Elohim that saved Abraham. Before his choice to be a Christian, Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish race, was a Muslim. He worshipped, he and his family worshipped the moon god. And if you look at the flag of Islam, you'll notice there's a moon on it. Why? Because they worshipped the moon god. 
So it is not our works that save us, it's God's grace. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this, If salvation is by grace as a free gift, and of course it is, it's no longer on the basis of your works. Grace and works are opposite. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. There are no works of any kind necessary to be saved. It is simply your faith, which is a gift God gave you, expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That is the ticket to eternal life. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Now to the one who works for salvation, his payment is not paid as if it were a gracious favor from God, but his payment is paid because it is what he is due. It is paid to him as what he has earned because of the work. And you see, if you work for salvation, you can work your butt off. You're going to get paid, but it's not going to be salvation. To gain admission to heaven, you need to be as righteous as God is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God the Father made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be a sin substitute on our behalf so that we might become the absolute righteousness of God in union with him. At the moment we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness is credited to our account. And as a result of the Lord's work on the cross, through his grace, we became righteous. We became as righteous, as holy, and as blameless as Jesus Christ is as a free gift. So if you went online and you looked at your heavenly account, you would pull up your account to look at your balance and it would say, saved. And you would say, saved? Well, what deposits have been made on my behalf? Righteousness, in union with Christ, saint, priest, ambassador, justified, reconciled, redeemed. I ain't got time for all that. Amen? It's too long. There are too many things. So as a result of the Lord's work on the cross, through his grace, we become righteous holy and blameless as a free gift. We don't have to strive for salvation. We simply ask for it and we get it because our salvation was done at the cross. All we're asking for when we ask to believe in Christ is to, we're asking to get what he already did for us at the cross. That's all. And the only reason we have to ask for it is because he's not going to do anything against our permission because he actually believes in freedom. You have the freedom to choose whether you want to be with him or you have the freedom to choose not to be with him. It's up to you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 11 say this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, choosing faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. For Scripture says, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. So anytime that doubt comes in, just pull that verse up. For Scripture says, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. Pull that verse up for your doubt. Roll a card at your doubt. Amen? Amen. To be fair to every religion, though, you can't know the depth of a religion without studying it. You can't take a few verses like I did here and have that tell the whole story. It doesn't have tell the whole story. But the one thing you'll find as you get deeper and deeper into the study of any religion is that God is disappointed with you and you have to do work to please him to get to heaven. 
And as you get deeper and deeper into Christianity, you're going to learn that you can't please God. Therefore, you have to count on what God has done for you, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you at the cross. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't have any problem with a free gift given in grace. Amen? And as we look back to the cross, we see the picture of grace, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done for us what we can never do. All right, well, let's enjoy the elements. Let's remember Jesus in the way he told us to remember him. Obeying our Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ and his cross regularly. We eat to remember who he is as a person, and we drink to remember his work at the cross, the voluntary sacrifice that he did on the cross to deliver us. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Matthew chapter 26, verses 22, or verses 26 to 28 say this. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is being broken for you. While they were eating, Jesus took some and when he, after that, he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the New Testament, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, Keep on doing this to remember me. Let's listen to the Lord. Let's keep on eating this bread. Let's keep on drinking this cup. And let's do both to remember him. Let's keep on being transformed by his life, by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection from the dead, and by his word. All right, so the the Lord's Supper song, James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing that is given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from God the Father, the one who is in control of the heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation. Or shifting shadow. Let's listen to God's spell. Sing all good gifts as we enjoy the elements. We plow the field and scatter the good seed on the land. But it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. He sends the snow in winter, the warmth to swell the grain, the breezes and the sunshine, the soft, refreshing rain.
Lord's Supper. Yummy, yummy. Well, let's close with music. And we're closing with a song from June Murphy's most recent collection of songs, which Amazon's Alexa knows about. Here's a perfect summary of today's lesson in song. You can't undo the cross. By faith and grace, God's plan. Baptized by the Holy Spirit, you were made new, you were made perfect, and you cannot be snatched from His right hand. You can't undo the cross. You can't unfinish the work Christ. The cross.
Amen, sister. Amen. Can't undo. You can't undo what's been done. I should do a lesson on that one of these days. <laughs> Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is the God of justice and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back because God cares for you, which means God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, there really are no words that we can use to express our gratitude for what you've done for us. There real, there's really no way for us to hold it in our minds, what you allowed your son to do on our behalf, to become our sin substitute. Everything we do to express our gratitude to you is completely inadequate. But just know that we love you and we thank you so much for blessing us beyond our wildest imagination and beyond our wildest dreams. And we know that as we are going through the things that we're going through here on earth right now, where we're seeing the tyranny and the ugly of Satan as he rules his kingdom and as we are being victimized by it, we know that we aren't victims because we've overcome the world through our union with you. And we just pray that you help us to keep our spiritual eyes open and that while our spiritual eyes are open, we're looking for opportunities to evangelize and to tell people the good news about Christ so that they can be personally escorted to heaven when they close their eyes in this life. And we ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me, people. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.